Hey, we're about to jump in with Jacqueline Nagel. She's been on the show before, and she's absolutely amazing. And I can't wait to share her with you. But I wanted to tell you a couple of things to expect in this episode. One is Jacqueline has a real expertise in public speaking, in speaker training. You'll hear about that. But this show is really for anyone who wants to start using their voice with more confidence in any space that you operate in. So I just want to be super clear about that from the top. You will get value from this conversation, whether you ever intend to step on a stage or not. Now, if giving a TED Talk or speaking from the main stage, if that is of any interest to you at all, you have got to listen to the last few minutes of this show because Jacqueline is running a training program that is absolutely incredible and I want you to know about it, but she's giving us all of these free resources around that that I really want you to hear. And then at the very, very end, I asked her a question off air and I'm going to slice it back in because it's yet another free resource for you if you're at all interested in speaker training. Now, to be very clear before we jump in, I will always tell you if I'm an affiliate or if I'm a sponsor or excuse me, if I'm being sponsored, anything of that nature. I'm not. I am super, super excited both about the topics that we cover together as women in this industry who are really passionate about uplifting and amplifying other women's voices. But I'm also excited that one or 30 of you might really resonate with the training that Jacqueline is offering. And because she is a personal friend and a professional friend, I know she's world class. So just wanted to share that with you. That all happens toward the end. And even when you think the conversation is over, it isn't because I splice in some of the conversation we had off air for that last and final free resource. Okay, this will all make sense in my conversation with Jacqueline Nagel. Let's go. Welcome. You're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and tips from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or relationships to just living better and with more energy, or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts, and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Let's go. Hey, you're on air with Ella, and I am about to have some fun with you because I am joined by my friend and previous guest, Jacqueline Nagel, hailing from Australia. Hey, Jacqueline, how are you? Hey, Ella, so, so good this morning. Jacqueline, we have had you on the air before, but for those who need a little reminder, can you please tell us who you are and what you do? So I am Jacqueline Nagel and the official things after my name say I'm a certified speaking professional. I am an obsessive with words. So I speak a coach, I speak a train, I pitch coach. I love pitch coaching for startups and innovation. I We have probably 90% of our workers with female founders and female executives because we have a big heart for the work of women and believe that when women speak, the world changes. And so, yeah, in a nutshell, that's that. I have a previous C-suite background and very strategic. But right now, my obsession is all things speaking. Well, we have that in common. And I am really passionate, and I know you are too, about helping women particularly 
find their voice, use their voice, and frankly, raise their voice. And so today, I want to talk about raising our voice, about speaking with confidence. But Jacqueline, I want to talk not just about uh, women who intend to speak in the public eye from the stage or on our screens, but honestly, in everyday conversations, in literally any context that we find ourselves in. I think it translates. What do you think? Oh, look, it's actually really interesting because when I first started this work, which was well before even our first conversation, I believe that, you know, we would just work with people who want to be on a stage. Around 40, 45% of women that come through our programs actually never speak on a stage or a platform. You won't see them on socials. You won't see them keynoting, but they come through. And what happens is they find their voice wherever it is that they need their voice. So they find their voice in conversations. They find their voice in the workplace. They find their voice in negotiations. They find their voice with their own freaking family. They just literally find their voice. And it's been something I had to really change gears with. I realized in conversation with people that it was making a massive difference for some women just to be able to speak up and speak into what matters even within the confines of their own home. That's actually what they were after. I I need to ask because I get a little, I get, it's funny because I literally run a nonprofit for women where we amplify women's stories. Like that is part of my life. I'm obviously very passionate about women amplifying and uplifting one another. And still I struggle when I gender conversations like this because I'm like, I'm not trying to make it sound like we are handicapped in some way, but I will admit to you and to my podcast fam that I think that this topic is particularly important for women. Do you agree or disagree? I actually really agree. And I never thought I'd say that, right? So this is the thing. I come from, I mentioned as we opened a C-suite background, I worked in mining services as a general manager, a CEO of a traffic control company, an industrial relations negotiator in manufacturing and heavy industry. Like, you know, nothing that's soft and feminine, right? And so I was always like, I am not genderizing. I don't want to be held up as a female icon. I will not have this. And even, you know, resisting moving to just working with women for years because I didn't want to genderize. But here's the truth. We do have a higher level of imposter syndrome and inner critic. And that's not to say men don't because men definitely do. And the good men still come into our world. Does that make sense? We still work with the good men. Absolutely. But the other thing is that we've got to understand and remember is, and I'm not going to give this a label, but you know, for centuries, we've had our voice taken off us, right? You know, women of note were written out of the Bible, you know, 400 years ago, our husbands could apply to have a metal frame put on our head with a spike into our tongue from a judge simply because he wanted us to shut up, right? And then you go to the witches, which we now know we're just bold and brave women. So we have, no matter who you are, we have condition, we have centuries of conditioning that we shouldn't speak. And for that reason, and it's 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 permeated, it's in our DNA, it's in our genetics. And for that reason, we do actually have to genderize this bit. And it's not about at the expense of men, because as you and I have spoken about, I believe to be good women, we need good men, right? It's not at the expense of men. It's and the reason why I changed to working just with women was I had my first ever only women in a workshop, right? Randomly, 
and there was something different. And it was driving home from that on the on the end of day three. I was driving back to where I live, which is about a two-hour drive. And it just landed in my heart. You have to do this just with women because there is a difference in the room. There is a vulnerability. There is a strength. There is having to work and dance with the inner critic and the imposter syndrome that is on steroids compared to when as soon as you put one man in the room, and we have programs for men. You know, we do like I get questions all the time. Do you still work with men? Yeah, absolutely. And we have some mixed programs. But there are rooms that we only put women into. And it's not about feminism and it's not about any of that. It's literally we have centuries of work to undo in our DNA. I only know to the core of my being that what you're saying is true because I had such a similar journey and came from very male-dominated industries, never had a problem with it. That suited me down to the ground, frankly, and my communication Amen. style. Yeah, like no problem. I think my I think yeah. my womanhood has been an asset my whole life. And again, yeah. we're not angry. Like I'm not here to pick on men, not even straight white men, not even straight white men. <laughs> okay? I'm not. Oh, that's I, a very one of them. No, we're not picking on them. I, I literally made one (laughs) I made two (laughs) but I am here to absolutely underscore what you're saying the power of when we come together and when we work together and when we can share together and to your point this is really important we have these external hindrances that are as old as time but I I totally agree or at least experience myself We have internal hindrances that are unique to us as well. And so I am so glad to be peeling some of the layers of this onion back with you today. So we are going to get into many, many, many tips and tricks and tools and resources. But I just wanted to ask you, at the end of the day, what is your overarching mission here? When we invite all women to the table and we agree that we have these internal and external constraints and we're going to bust through them, like, why are you so passionate about this? It's actually really interesting. I love this question because we don't actually ask it of each other enough. And I think we need to, as women, ask it more often. For me, finding my voice was something I never expected to be able to do. I should have been a statistic. I should not have had the career I've had. I should have been dead by the age of 20. I come from the wrong part of town with the wrong events and the wrong impacts right? You know, I had this massive career. I'm a high school dropout who was homeless twice as a teenager. So for me, I would not have this life if I hadn't learned how to use my words, to put it bluntly. And first of all, it was angry words. It was angry words that literally railing against the machine, right? And so they were the first iteration, but I could find my words and then I could actually demand what I wanted and I could hold people to account around me. And so that's evolved into this lifelong obsession with getting what we want. And it sounds really kind of abrupt, but actually for most of us, we don't know how to ask for what we want. We don't know how to speak into what matters. We don't know how to speak up for what counts. And I really believe in if we're going to have female empowerment and change the gender conversation and all that sort of stuff, we actually need to enable microeconomic empowerment at the individual level. And what I mean by that is women need to be able to create their own future, which includes financial future. Now, if you don't know how to speak up, if you don't know how to be seen and to be visible and to be heard and to be remembered, and you don't know how to articulate the problem and the solution, you don't know how to articulate what it is that you do best in the world. If you don't know any of that, you are never, ever, ever in control of your future, ever. 
You are pointing out something I think is critical. So many times when we sit in a room or in an environment and we see women with confidence and we see women who speak with power and strength and grace, we think, oh, I'll have what she's having, or I wish I'd been born with that, or and. And, and there is this othering that happens. And I see this all the time. And I have women ask me like, where does your confidence come from? And have you all, you know, and what you are illustrating through the story of your own life and through the success that you have created, despite every single odd being against you in the first two decades of your life is you are showing us that skills of influence and communication and confidence and even persuasion, like that doesn't come naturally to most people. Like this is a skill, it is a muscle and you can train it. It is absolutely. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really passionate now. Like, you know what our plans are at the moment. We're going to explode what we do because I want it in the hands of everyone right? And we will take it, start taking it into the schools and the disadvantaged areas and all that sort of stuff because this makes a difference, right? You know, no one told me I could speak up because I was unheard. I was silenced. I was pushed away and pushed down. So the concept of being able to speak up and being heard and actually being respected and recognized and remembered was so foreign to my way of being, but it's something that I built, you know, and it actually happened by accident to start with. And then there was a series of things that happened. So, you know, first of all, it's about finding my own voice. Then, and as I said, that was an angry voice to start with. And here's the thing, when we get a little bit older and a bit more sophisticated, we kind of push back on those angry rebel voices. We kind of go, but you know, that might be their starting point because you can't outrun your damage and you can't squash down the words. So if the first iteration is anger or sadness or rebel, let them express it, right? Let people express it because I was one of the angriest of expressing young women on the freaking planet. But it has to, your words have to get out, right? And then you have to learn how to redirect the words. And then you have to learn how to elevate the words. The first thing of the power of story. So the power of story is what changed my world. At the age of 21, I was dating a guy who was in Amway. And I think everybody in the world knows what Amway is. And he was quite successful. So we ended up at a big regional conference and it was big enough that they brought in an external keynote speaker. I'd never seen a speaker and I did not want to be there. This is my angry stages. And this woman walked on stage, her name was Janine Shepard, and I still have her book. And she spoke about her own personal story. And her story was she was an Australian on track for the Winter Olympics in like the 80s. And she got hit by a truck on a training run and completely destroyed her world. And it was an incredible story. It was the first time, one, she was so powerful in how she spoke. And two, I was sitting there saying, man, if that was me, I'd be like I am right now, I'd be really freaking angry. And the third thing that happened was when she shared her story, I realized that what happened to you didn't have to become your identity. It was when that was seated. And when she stopped speaking, I raced to the back of the room. As I said, I still have that book. I actually met her at a conference a couple of years ago, which is like 20, 30 years later. I was able to say to her, this is what happened. But that was the starting point of changing how I spoke and seeing the power of story. And that's the kind of thread that started to unfold. But I still didn't speak publicly until I was about 30. You know what? I want to be that person for somebody else. I know that you have been that person for so many people. And what I think would be really amazing is if we can inspire a few people who become that person for somebody else. So one of the ways that I want to do that, Jacqueline, is I want to share like three fundamental tenets 
to your work. And I want to kind of break them down and make them really accessible for folks. And maybe people can walk away, not just inspired, but with some tools in their toolkit that they can implement. Okay. So one of the things that we've been talking about, and one of the things that I know is really fundamental to the work that you do is this, and these are my words, so you please adjust them as necessary. But, you know, we talk about the inner critic. We talk about imposter complex. And in my view, these are never going away. These phenomenon are not going away, but we can turn the volume down or at least learn to work with them. Can you talk to me about some of the strategies that you employ to help us learn with the inner critic and imposter complex in play? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of quick things I just want to touch on from what you just said. So one is you talked about, we don't like, you know, we they're never going to go away. The truth is if you get rid of all your internal voice, then you're a psychopath, right? Because <laughs> the inner voice is one of love. The inner critic is one of protection. And so it actually starts to keep you safe, right? It just becomes not as useful. So my thing is, if you want to get rid of all the voices in your head, all your internal voices, then you actually become a psychopath. So that's number one. So we should never aim to get rid of them. And that's a different show. That's a totally different show. And then the second thing is, is that we've fallen into this pattern and this can happen when things are popularized. So the conversations around inner critic and imposter syndrome have become very popularized. And somewhere along that line, we've fallen into this almost sneaky belief that the imposter syndrome is an instruction when it's actually an indication. Imposter syndrome and your inner critic is an indicator. It's pay attention here. It's not an instruction that you shouldn't go here or stop or anything like that. It's an indicator to pay attention, right? You know, you and I both come, we've said we both come from heavy duty industries, male dominated, like our imposter syndrome did flare. But it was like, pay attention to this bit. It wasn't an instruction. It was an indicator. So that's the second thing. And I think that as soon as we start to actually look at it that way, it becomes useful for us, right? But then the third thing is, is that we have some very, very different strategies that we use with people. And one of them, I'll just share one of them with you now. And that is to ditch the affirmations. You're saying <laughs> ditch the affirmations. Talk to me about why yeah. they, I'm guessing, are not just neutral, but maybe detrimental. Yeah. So here's the thing. When we do affirmations the way that they've been taught, they're generalized, right? They're like, say this and do this. And, and these are the affirmations you need. And we get given the affirmations. But what we have between our conscious and our unconscious mind, so the imposter syndrome sits in our conscious mind, but it's a result of what's buried in our unconscious mind because the imposter syndrome, the inner critic, is keeping us safe from memories that are stored in our unconscious mind. Now, I want you to think about between the conscious and the unconscious mind is a five-year-old child. That's your gatekeeper. So to move between the head and the heart or the conscious and the unconscious, you have to bring down the five-year-old gatekeeper. Now, we work a lot with that as far as how we speak when we train people. But for us personally, right, the five-year-old gatekeeper wants fun, wants to be safe, and will call your bullshit, right? Because they're literal. They say what they see. So when you're doing these affirmations that are generalized and given to you or you pick them up or you write them from, you know, write them down, what happens is that five-year-old child inside your house, inside your mind is calling bullshit going, yeah, I hear you, but you know that's not true. So even before you start, what you're doing, especially for those who are anxious, you're actually adding this internal unconscious tug of war that makes it worse. 
right? It's why you hear of people like affirming all incredible things and their life is still going to shit around them. Sorry, I'm swearing this bit, but I'm really passionate about it. But their life is still falling apart around them. And it's because your unconscious mind knows your truth. So if you're feeding it with stuff that's not quite true, it's a there's a big period of resistance. And don't get me wrong, we can get to a place where it works, but there's a massive period of resistance to start with. And that's what's wrong with it. If we are ditching affirmations and repetitive statements of how amazing we are, what are we doing instead? So we're ditching affirmations, we're ditching generalized affirmations, and we're going to go after, we're going to create our own personalized affirmations. And how we do this, this is a Dr. John D. Martini exercise. I was taught it 15 years ago. You can't actually find it in his work anymore. We've tried to find it so many times. So I'm glad I captured it. And this creates rapid change. I've seen people change how they think within a week, right? And really change. And I mean, I could go forever on the case studies that we've got that we've been witness to. But what it does is like, it's so you literally get a piece of paper and you fold it in half. Now, I actually use an A5 size notebook and the left-hand page is one side and the right-hand page is the other side, right? And on the left-hand side, and the first time you do this exercise, you kind of do it in a big tranche. You do it in a big chunk. You write down all the negative things you say to yourself. You don't edit it. No one's going to see this. Don't edit it. Don't paraphrase it. Don't whatever it. Don't every single trashy little itty-bitty shitty committee thought that ever travels through your brain, you write it down <laughs> on the left-hand side. Then on the right-hand side, you write down what you would want to say to yourself instead, right? And then you go through and you physically cross out the left-hand side. So it has to be kinesthetic and visual. And then you read the right-hand side and you do that all the way down to you've done it for all of them. And then the ones on the right-hand side become your affirmations that you bookend your sleep with. So you read them as you go to sleep and you read them as you wake up first and last, sorry, last and first. Now, the first time you do it, there'll be a lot come out. It's a big process. I still carry a little A5 notebook in my bag because it's not about what's in your phone. It's got to be visual and kinesthetic. And I still grab it out sometimes, right? But what it does is it reduces the white noise. It allows that inner voice of yours, that inner critic to calm down. And the reason it works is because you're going after the words that you use. It's real. Yeah. It's so freaking powerful. And it's not even about speaking. I had somebody who was internal legal counsel at a major construction firm, one of the biggest in Australia. And he ran me one day, he said, Jacqueline, with those things that you do for other people, like outside of your consulting work, because it was my side hustle at that stage, he said, can you sit down with my wife? So his wife was a fully qualified architect, had three children under six, wanted to go back to work part-time and was really struggling, Was couldn't even get herself a submitting applications, like had been an award-winning architect because she just had lost sense of her worth with being a mum, mm -hmm. right? And so many women listening to this will be able to relate to this, right? And so he sat me down. Uh, he asked me to talk to her about her resume because I had a background in recruitment and employment and how to actually find these jobs that she wanted to go after. And so I sat down with her and within 10 minutes I was like, she's lost complete sight of what she's worth. Like, it doesn't matter how good her resume is and how much I, she's not going to get anywhere. So I said to her, I'm going to give you this exercise. I want you to promise me you go and do it faithfully. You go and do it until you run out of words and you go and do it every day for a week. And she did it. And within about three or four weeks, she had her part-time job that she really wanted configured to meet the, what she wanted with the children. But more powerful than that was about six weeks after I met with her, the client, the internal legal counsel, rang me and he said, I don't know what you do with my wife. He said, but I've got her back. Yeah. 
Don't underestimate the power of this thing. Today's episode is brought to you by a listener and their five-star review. You know if you leave a five-star review, I will read literally whatever you say on the air. So here we go. Five stars from Scout Dog who says, this has been my favorite podcast for years, years. Thank you, Ella, for sharing such amazing content and shout out to Aileen, my sleepy English sister. I love you. That was read to you by DJ Curtis J, London's finest. Thanks, Curtis. Jacqueline, you say that speaking up with strength and power and grace is a skill and we need to invest in it. And this is part of what we were talking about before, where we should not just assume that this comes naturally for some. And if we didn't get that DNA, then we're out of the game. But what does this look like? Because if you deep dive on YouTube or in TED Talks, you're going to learn that all you have to do is stand like Superman and you're going to be a great speaker. Or, you yeah. know, you just speak about what moves you and ditch the script. <laughs> so, so which is it? Am I going with the flow or am I practicing? practicing and rehearsing and structuring. Talk to me. So here's the thing, and it's really interesting because I got wild recently because on the Masterclass platform, they had somebody spooking both of those together, just power pose and ditch the script. And I was like, I was so furious because that's dangerous, right? That's right. Because they say if you stand like Superman, hands on hips, feet apart, then it increases your testosterone or something. I don't know. And then it makes you a better speaker. Yeah. So like, and we're trying to be powerful female voices, but we're going to we're going to do something that accelerates our testosterone? Like, how does that even go together? Like, let's talk about the chemistry of that just for a second. But in all seriousness, it is a really important thing. So number one is power posing won't get you anywhere. You cannot will your way into success. Power posing is to has been put up as this antidote to overcoming the fear, the fight or flight response. The truth is this, the fight or flight response, fight, 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 flight, freeze or fawn is your body's primal response, whether it makes sense or not, doesn't matter. It's your body's primal response is an adrenaline rush. It is your body being flooded with adrenaline, which is why you feel your tongue gets sticky, you get hot, you get clammy palms because it's an adrenaline rush and your body is flooding with adrenaline to get you ready to be safe. So the only way to get out of it is to expel it physically. So I have a client who goes for a 12K run whenever he's got to do a big presentation. I have another client where she goes and does a boxing workout on the day of delivery. Um, We have a really quick hit. We have one which is go and do wall push-ups until the tops of your arms fatigue because it expels the adrenaline. Power posing doesn't expel adrenaline. So you might feel really good, but as soon as something doesn't go to plan, guess what? you've still got an accelerated level of adrenaline and you still panic, right? So that's number one. Power posing will not get you there. I do like a modified jumping jack, which is generally modified by what I'm wearing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Same effect. Same effect. And then what gets me irritated about ditch the script, and I have people tell me all the time, hey, I don't run a script. I think it keeps me authentic, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. This is both the power pose and the ditch the script is actually about you. And when you speak from the front of a room, from a platform, wherever it may be, it's about them. Speaking is actually not about you. Even my lived experience speakers with massive personal stories, nobody walks away feeling like they've just listened to a lifelong story. They all walk away empowered with what they can do. Because even when the story is all about you, it's not about you. It's about them. And the minute you say, I don't need a script. I'm fine. That's because you think you are the biggest gift to the planet. 
and it's all about you, right? If you are going to deliberately move an audience from where they are now to where you want them to be to where they never expected to be, if you want to surprise and delight, if you want to actually you script, because most of us, and we said this before, it's a skill. you got to invest in it. So in our world, there's a structure to the speaking depending on what kind of speaker you are. There's a structure to how we shape stories. There are structures upon structures and they're layered, incrementally layered. You don't do that naturally. So even the most gifted of speakers, I mean, I've been in rooms talking to people who paid fifteen, a hundred thousand dollars for a keynote. They don't, they don't leave it to chance. Do you think that this applies in conversations off stage? Because I would argue that they do. Yeah. Also, too, when it comes to conversations off stage, what do we find is when we improve our speaking skills full stop, our conversations improve because we actually get intentional. So conversations that go well are intentional conversations. You have started a podcast somewhat recently called A Speaker Driven Business that I'm going to share with anyone who's interested in the subject because you are you are creating so much value for free with that podcast and just sharing step-by-step methodologies that can help you begin to construct speeches and presentations that matter and create value yeah. and move your audience and take them on a journey. So I want to make that accessible to everybody. We will do that in the show notes. Okay, Jacqueline, I have this thing that I say, (laughs) which is nothing is more motivating than witnessing our own progress because it creates social proof, if you will, that we can do a thing. And so that's why I love taking baby steps and proving to ourselves that we can do a thing. And then therefore we are We are motivated by momentum, not some divine package of motivation that just lands on us in the night. And you talk about this when you talk about speaking up and speaking in public, when you say that we need to create evidence points for ourselves. Can you tell us a little bit more about not only what you mean, but how to do it? Yeah, absolutely. So what I mean by this is people say to me, oh, I'm not confident. I'll never be confident. I don't think I can ever do this. Well, actually, when you're sitting in place and not doing it, then of course, you don't have anything to counter that argument, right? And again, going back to the five-year-old child, the only thing that they want is to be safe. And how does a five-year-old child know that they're going to be safe? It's actually, it is a bit of a feeling, but they need evidence, right? And so we have to create evidence points. And there's a few things that even before I go into what how we do that, I just want to actually dispel for people. Number one is people tell me that they believe that they're here to make a difference. They believe that they're here to tell their story. They believe that they're here to make an impact on the world, but they're not doing it. And I'm sure that you've come across these people as well. Like, you know, you know how deeply that their belief level is not in doubt. I've been that person, Jacqueline. Yeah. And we've all been that person if we're honest, right? And it's because beyond belief is trust. If you don't trust yourself to raise your voice, if you don't trust that you're going to be safe, if you don't trust that you truly have the skill and you don't trust that you truly have the right, all the belief in the world does not matter because it's trust that that five-year-old internal child needs to bring them down and calm them down. They can believe all they want, but until they trust that you're going to be okay, it doesn't happen. So trusting yourself is beyond believing. So believing that you're here to do it and here to make a difference, all that sort of stuff, that will uh, get that will get you paying attention but once you trust that you've got this and trust that you can do this and trust you will be safe nothing can stop you and that momentum that you're talking about happens okay i think so many people are in the belief phase i think so many people in my community in this community really believe that they are probably here for more than they are living 
And there's that yeah. feeling that that feeling. But honestly, I love actually using the word belief. It's not just it's not a feeling of lack. It's a belief that there is more and that we can offer more. But what I'm hearing you say is like belief isn't going to get you out of the chair. No. So no. how do we create that trust then? One step is actually it's a decision, believe it or not. It's a decision that you're going to back yourself, right? Number two is turning that belief into specifics. So you may believe that you're here to make a difference, but once you get specific about it, then you actually can't help but move in that direction. So create a vision and create a bold vision. Like I was coaching someone last week for a TEDx stage and she actually said to me at the end of it, she said, oh my goodness, I think you've given me permission to speak more boldly. It's like start Start actually making that bold, big ass, unqualified, I don't have to justify my dreams to you. Start making that thing because then you will start to trust yourself. But number one is a decision. Number two is we actually need to get rid of this whole maxim that especially with the interwebs has become really prevalent, that everything we want is on the other side of fear. We need to actually call bullshit on that because everything we want is on the other side of fear. It still puts fear as your first step. Now, if you have belief and fear playing out, you can't move through the fear, right? And when we say everything we want is on the side of fear, we're still putting fear firmly in front of us as if we have to jump over it. And it doesn't matter whether you say you're going to go around it, going to go under it, like you're still putting fear as the first step. Belief and fear can't outweigh each other. That's what keeps us stuck. Say that again. That's really important. Belief and fear can't coexist. That's what keeps you stuck right? They can't outweigh each other. That's what keeps you stuck, right? I always say everything we want is on this side of certainty because once you are certain about something, what happens? You don't question and guess what happens to belief? Belief becomes trust because it's like, I am certain that this is my direction. I am certain that this is my end game. I am certain that this is what I'm going to do. And the minute you decide that you are absolutely certain in that, trust your in yourself goes through the roof and you can't, and you start momentum, right? So I know even with this, I've been doing this business for about seven years. It's only in the last 12 months that I've actually realized, this is what brought it up. I've actually moved from belief to trust and it's changed the game and not externally, internally. It's like, this is my thing. This is where I'm going. There are so many roads. The roadblocks are still there. Don't get me wrong. The challenges are still there. The potholes are still there. But I trust myself now to have myself on this journey. Jacqueline, my sister from another continent, I always say everything you want is on the other side of starting because it is about taking action to create these evidence points that you're describing. And I just, I just could not agree with you more. And I, if you don't mind, I want to, I want to build on what you're saying because there's also moving from fear to certainty in my mind and something that I'm really passionate about talking about. And from the stage, this is something I like to talk about a lot is also understanding that failure is going to happen. Setbacks are going Mm -hmm. to happen. We're not now in a fairy, fairy land because we're certain and we believe in ourselves and we're taking action, but rather no matter what happens, we can survive any outcome. Yeah. And that is what we're talking about moving from belief to trust. Okay. And how do you help people do that? 
Okay, so step number one is what we've already spoken about. Get rid of the white noise, ditch the general informations and create your own. That's step number one. Step number two, and they don't have to happen in order. They can be happening all at the same time. We teach our people a strategy called the first five friendlies. So you are never going to, it doesn't matter how perfectly scripted and how much you deliver a speech to your friends and your family, you are never going to believe that you've got what it takes until you get into the arena. So our thing is getting you into the arena safely. So we have a strategy called the first five friendlies. And that is speaking for free. So for pro, what we call pro or low bono in stages that are created through your networks. So it might be in corporates, it might be at a networking event, it might be, but it's somewhere where you can deliver your presentation in full and be wrapped up in love and get photographs, videos and testimonials, but it's actually safe for you to go there. Does that make sense? Uh, That makes such good sense. Yeah. And so it's actually a very specific strategy. We have very tight parameters around it so that you don't end up speaking for free all the time because that's a big trap for women. International Women's Day coming up in March is not far away. I'll get on my soapbox about how the biggest day of the year celebrating women doesn't pay female speakers on most events. Like, you know, so so we don't want people getting stuck in free speaking, but to get moving and to create those evidence points, we need to do it safely. So first five friendly stages through the networks that you already have to build your evidence points that you can do this. All right. And also, I you have so many programs that you run. I want you to share this one that I'm super excited about for you. But can we get can we give one? Can we give one away? Yeah. Just, just one, Jacqueline. Yeah. We can. And actually, you know what? I think what we should be giving away based on the conversation we've had, I think the one we should give away is we have a course called The Confident Voice. It's 297 Aussie dollars. And we'll give you a code in the show, a link and a code in the show notes that anyone in your podcast family can get that for free, like for a couple of months. But this is it's got nine modules. It includes that exercise we talked about with the Clarity Through Contrast, the Dr. John Martini. but it's nine exercises that we use with our private clients to really shift through and learn how to dance with the inner critic, learn how to quieten the white noise, the imposter syndrome. It's nine neuroscience-based strategies. You can do one or you can do all. They don't have to be done in sequence. You can do what appeals to you, but they're really powerful. So it's videos and exercises all the way through, nine different modules. Oh my gosh, that is so much more than I was thinking. Thank you. <laughs> you can get the PDF downloads off my podcast. Like, let's give something that's actually going to make a difference. Well, I'm telling you, between your podcast, a speaker driven business, and then this course, like that is an enormous amount of value. And guys, I'm not just saying this, that I'm going to take that course and then I'm probably going to start conversations in my community, Jacqueline, about it. So we will be doing Amazing. that. That is going to buttress anyone who wants to be in more command of their voice in any arena. And that arena might be your kitchen table. Absolutely. But for the people who want to get on the main stage, and that is a passion of theirs, I salute you. And you are one of the best in the world to prepare people for that experience. I would like you to offer them an invitation to the program that you are starting in the new year, please. Oh, am I allowed to get super excited about this one? (laughs) Please, I'm pretty pumped about it. (laughs) Yeah, I am really excited about this one. So it is called Speak Like Ted. So, and I see what you did there. Yeah. (laughs) So is there a couple of, can I just take a couple of minutes to give some context to how this came about? Because, so I am a TEDx coach. I'm a certified speaking professional. And every year for about last five or six years, we get to sort of November, October, November, and I go on a rant about 
TEDx stages destroying the TED Talk brand. And I think it's because by this time of year, we've had so many TEDx events because there are three more than 3,000 events around the world every year that are TEDx events. There are 17 to 18,000 TEDx talks loaded to the YouTube channel every single year. It is insane. And by this time of year, I'm usually really ranty. And so the first few years I just ranted. The last couple of years I've actually run little like uh, one year was a five-day challenge and last year was a little micro course, like just a little $100 micro course. And this year I went, you know what? I'm done with it. I want people to fall in love and understand the power of the freaking TED Talk as it was designed because there's basic fundamentals that are missed, like the actual way it's structured. Hello, there's that word structure again, actual way it's structured, what it's meant to do, how you're meant to validate it. Like, you know, you can't just talk out of your ass with a great idea on these things, right? And so I got really, and I went, you know what, Jack? So every iteration of my business for 25 years, whether it's in consulting, whatever it's been, has always been when something's really annoyed me. So I put together a program. We launched it in January. It's selling now and it's selling well. Um, so there will be a limit, but there's plenty of room for everyone who wants to have a go. But this program is going to be, we're going to open with a panel of TEDx speakers who have spoken before and it'll be a 45-minute panel followed by 45-minute Q&A. And this is for only for people who are participants in the program that will open in mid-January. And they're going to give the good, the bad and the ugly. Right, right from someone who got 3 million views and wish it had never happened to the person who got 2 million views and changed his life to the people who wish they'd never done it. Right. So, every range of experience. Then you're going to be coached by me for 10 weeks to create your TED Talk and your TED Talk pitch because you have to pitch to these stages. In late March, every participant will pitch to a panel of TEDx curators and licensees. And the top eight, and this is a bit I'm so excited about, the top eight will go through and in mid-April, the top eight will all deliver their TED Talk to Carmine Gello, who is the superstar in this space. He's an instructor at Harvard. He wrote the um, Talk Like Ted, The Storyteller's Secret, Five Stars, The Bezos Blueprint, The Job's Infusion, like all of these things. Top eight will deliver live to Carmine Gello and he will give live coaching. It is the single best program I've ever designed. And I cannot wait. It's like, it's so powerful. I am so excited. And I just want to see more women on stage. I want more women's voices Uh, amplified. It is so, and I love that you've got the not-for-profit that you've built um, amplifying that because I don't think there can be enough work around it. But it's also, you know, I have a very, very specific focus on finding female experts and women to come and speak to our client groups. And particularly in Australia, I don't know what it's like in the US, but particularly in Australia, it is so hard to find them. To actually go and search and Google, it's almost impossible. And the other thing, which we didn't touch on, I'm sorry to bring in this right at the end, but it's also getting harder to find them because AI and the algorithms, and if you're creating your list through chat GPT and things like that, 87% of the coders in the world are male. Okay. I know that we're closing, but we're going to get this in here really quickly because I'm just learning a lot about this. I went to a presentation by a woman who wrote a book about this and it completely opened my eyes to this, but I just want you to just speak to that for just 30 more seconds. What you're saying is there's a, a real risk of erasure and Absolutely. undisputed bias in AI, which of course is the machine generating so much of our intel right now. And as a as a business owner, like I understand the value of it, 
But the fact that code is, and sorry, it may be 83%. The UN has the actual numbers from this year's IWD. 83 87% of the coders and programmers are male. And most of them are actually even unaware of their bias. If you ask them, they wouldn't see it, right? It wouldn't be until you could read the code. That's not intentional. It's not intentional. It just is. It's like we were saying before, we've got con- centuries of conditioning, right? So it's not intentional. But what happens is we've got this wave coming, which actually is going to drown our voices in ways we never expected. And if we don't, if we're not visible and not able to be shown, so even for all of you listening, if you are speaking, you're a woman, say female speaker on topic, female speaker on topic in city, female speaker, fem- put female speaker into every single thing you've got. So at least we can find you. I mean, Jack, I could talk to you for days. Oops, me too. <laughs> we are going to give this free confident voice course and that will be available for about two months. We'll sort that. Yeah. And then your invitation to join your Speak Like TED course for those who really are ready to level up. Wait, Jacqueline, you have um, an informational call about the Speak Like TED program. I would love for my listeners to get that, but I know the timing's not going to work out for them to hear it live. Can we do anything for them? Yeah, look, what we'll do, we'll put together um, a link which will take them to a replay of that that'll be exclusive to your podcast fam um, and we'll get that up for you so that your audience can get through to that and then we'll actually have some links under that that'll take them straight through the program or they can book a call with me. Does that sound okay? Okay, cool, cool, cool. Jacqueline Nagel, you continue to inspire me and to give me an adrenaline rush. I don't need a power pose. I just need Jack in my life. (laughs) Thank you so much, Ella. Okay, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just head over to onairella.com where I put up links to all of the stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. There's no whip. It's just onairella.com. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing the show. And thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.